Hello, readers. Rick Riley has been writing about sports since 1979. Eleven different times he was voted the National Sports Writer of the Year. He's also a member of the National Sports Writers and Sportscasters Hall of Fame. And he's a New York Times bestselling author whose titles include Commander and Cheat, How Golf Explains Trump. Rick, thank you for the time. How are you doing today? Thanks for having me, man. Absolutely. So, Commander and Cheat just had a chance to finish reading it last night, as a matter of fact. It's a great book. And oh, you uh, read the wanted... whole thing? Yeah. Yeah, I have read the it's whole thing. It's a rare I got it. radio guy that actually reads the book. It's the least I can do for Thank somebody, you. if you're going to give me 15 to 20 minutes of your time, is I can actually read what it is that I'm supposed to be talking to you about, you know? <laughs> It's a, it's a crazy notion. Novel concept, especially in 2019, the era of 280 right. characters. So, <laughs> right. Rick, why is golf such a great explanation for Trump? Well, you know, Arnold Palmer used to say, I never do a business deal with a guy until I've played 18 holes with him because you can't hide who you are in four hours of golf. And having played golf my whole life, I think that's totally true. Like, you know, if a guy's going to cheat on the course, he's probably going to cheat you later on in business or on his wife or on his taxes. And if he's going to be a bad sport and, and, and angry, he's going to be angry a lot. And if he's great and fun and he plays by the rules, it, he's going to be fun to be with. And I know it's just golf. That's, that's all this book is. It's about his golf game, his courses, uh, the fake championships. He says he's won, but he hasn't. The fake handicap. But golf is kind of a way to look into a guy's soul, at least for golfers it is. And I would never play with a guy like Donald Trump. I did play once with the ones, but I, but I wouldn't again because he cheated like crazy. Well, I wanted to ask you about that. What was your first experience with the lying hyperbole machine that is Donald Trump on the golf course? And he ended up telling a lie about you. What was that, and why did he even say such a thing? Well... <laughs> My first experience with Trump was lots. I mean, we knew him a lot in sports. I mean, he was a big, fun, crazy, blowhard, great quote. He'd say anything, and you'd laugh and write it down. And so we never thought it would matter, and now it really matters. So he, he came to me once at Pebble Beach. By the way, he, he's never done well at Pebble Beach when the <laughs> cameras are on. So when the cameras are on, or at Tahoe, he's never made the top half. He's not good when he has to play by the rules. But anyway, so he comes up to me and says, when are you going to write about me? And I said, well, I'm, ri- I'm writing a book right now called Who's Your Caddy? And I'm caddying for 12 interesting people. You want to do it? And he said, sure. So I flew out to New York. But that day, he didn't have anyone to play with, so he made me play with him. And he's walking around introducing me. And he's like, this is Rick Riley. He's the publisher of Sports Illustrated. <laughs> and I'm like, did he say publish- publisher? I'm just a writer. Then it was, this is Rick Riley. He owns Sports Illustrated. <laughs> What? No, why do you got to... <laughs> he introduced the... This is Antoine, the world-voted best hamburger chef in the world. And he's like, no, I... What? <laughs> so Jeez. the line starts early and often, and then he gets on the course, and he took so many mulligans, and he made a six and said, write me down for a four. And one time he took a gimme chip in, which I'd never heard of, and it was just chaotic. <laughs> and, and then at the end of the day, I said, so you... You want to do it again tomorrow? Because I'm always looking for more material. And he goes, you know, for most people, one day of me is enough. And I'm kind of like, that's also maybe true for presidential terms. I don't know. <laughs> 
Yeah, he has this very Judge Smales way about him, as you continue to describe <laughs> him in the book. And, I don't uh, know if people know who that is. Uh, sadly, in uh, 2019, probably not, Rick. But you also do a good <laughs> job of really examining in a chapter the history of of presidents and their love of the game of golf. Now, Trump is far from the first president to love golf. Are there any other presidents who were similarly dishonest on the course? Well, I played with Clinton as a president when he was president, and he was he was a cheater, but in a, he cheated in a whole different way, which was he wanted so badly to play well, and he didn't get to play much. So we, we'd play like, for, it'd take like five and a half hours, and he would hit his first shot, and then, you know, the Secret Service would go find it. And then he hit five or six more shots from that spot just to try it, you know, just to figure it out. And, of course, that's completely illegal, but he did it. And he had 24 clubs in his bag, but he would putt out, and he would play the first ball. And he, his cheating was kind of like incidental. I mean, it's still cheating, but he wasn't trying to cheat you. Whereas Trump really wants to cheat you. He wants to win. He has to win. And... Even if that means, like, he kicked Mike Tirico's ball into the bunker. I was going to ask Tirico you about that. This is green. such a ridiculous I mean, story. How crazy is that? He tried to cheat Tiger Woods. He, he says he's won 18 club championships, and I couldn't confirm any of them. He, he wins some senior club championships, like super seniors, or sometimes he wins because he calls in from another city and says, hey, I think I usually would beat that guy that won today, so make me the club champion. One time he won a championship a month later because he sees the guy and says, yeah, you didn't beat me. So they played six holes, just him and the guy's son, and then he cheated to, to win that. So I don't know. I know it's just golf, but to me it matters. What is Trump's nickname at Winged Foot and why? Well, the only course Trump has ever belonged, uh, belonged to that he doesn't own is Winged Foot in New York, which will host the U.S. Open next year. And he stopped playing there because he couldn't get games, according to people there, because he cheats too much. So, but the reason they know he cheats too much is the caddies had a nickname for how often he kicks the ball out of the rough, and they started calling him Pele. <laughs> <laughs> and so, you know, I talked to a guy there. He's actually going to run. He's the chairman of the Open he said, well, I played with him once as a young guy, and he took me aside and said, you see those two guys over there we're going to play? They're going to cheat. And we're going to cheat better. And so he said he couldn't believe it, how, how much Trump cheated to win this match. And I think they won 100 bucks or something, 50 bucks. And the guy pays him. And then he went out to the parking lot and gave it back to him. He said, man, I can't take this in good conscience. And we cheated the whole time. It's crazy. It's, uh, it's fascinating to me also that you point out and you talk to a number of people who have played numerous rounds with Donald Trump that a lot of people just aren't even that bothered, save the individual that you just brought up there, aren't that bothered by the way that he goes about playing golf. Now, that surprised me. Was there one thing that really shocked you in what you went about in terms of researching and learning about various things about this story for the book? Yeah, people want to play with him to see it for themselves. Like Brad Faxon, the day he played with him, told me, you know, stories of how he cheated. And that was with Tiger Woods, by the way. And Jeez. He said, I said, well, weren't you mad? He goes, no. He says, we wanted our own stories to tell because you've heard so much about the cheating. We wanted to see it. And he said, besides, he's a lot of fun. And he plays really fast. And he asks you a lot of questions. And I said, so was he putting out? He said, no, never. 
<laughs> like, but isn't putting out the hard part? Yeah, but it doesn't matter because you always play his course with his cheating caddies, and he's got a supercharged cart that goes way faster than anybody else's, and he wins. <laughs> and then sometimes he doesn't even take your money, and then he buys you cheeseburgers and fries. He's down the fairway when everybody else is still in the process of teeing off to make sure that well, his... Well, sometimes it's in the lake, and by the time they see it splash, I remember in, a guy told me in L.A. once, we see it splash, and by the time we catch up to Donald and his caddy, it's back on the fairway, and Donald goes, well, it must have been the tide. I didn't realize that Larry David may have borrowed a storyline from a real occurrence at a Trump course for Curb Your Enthusiasm, but what was the Black Swan murder at Trump International near Mar-a-Lago? Oh, my God, it's a hilarious episode, and as soon as I saw it, I'm like, oh, my God, he took that from Trump at Mar-a-Lago. So Mar-a-Lago has a golf course, which is about seven minutes away, and it's called Trump International something, something, whatever. (laughs) And so Trump puts all these swans on the course, and one is a black swan, and swans can be really nasty. And this black, valuable swan comes at the guy, comes at this guy and won't stop coming at him, and he doesn't know what to do, so he's got the five iron in his hand, and in Larry David's episode, it was a five wood, kills the swan, <laughs> and, and Trump tells me, oh my God, I had to throw the guy out, he was a doctor, and uh, I had to throw the guy out of the club, but it was so great, and I'm like, what do you mean it was great? He said, I probably got 20 more new members just from the publicity. I'm like, Jeez. okay, I guess the swan didn't think it was that great, but okay. <laughs> uh, what is the standard operating procedure when Trump buys or builds a new golf course? What is that like? <laughs> well, it's quite, a, <laughs> it's quite a deal. He comes in, and everybody's all excited. Like, Take, for instance, Trump, Los Angeles, which is actually 75 miles from Los Angeles and Palos Verdes. And they were so excited to get him, and it was a very Republican place, and the course had uh, two of the holes had slid into the ocean. So we're like, Donald Trump. Well, then over the next 10 years, he sued them 10 times. They had to sue him about eight times. Uh, he, <laughs> he, de- he declared all the houses near his uh, practice range ugly. So he put up 40 foot cypress trees so that his players wouldn't have to look at the ugly houses. These are, by the way, million dollar houses. <laughs> and they sued because the, the trees were blocking their view of the Pacific Ocean and so the whole judge and everybody went down to the to the house, and he walks into the house and goes, this place is ugly. This place is dog. And he uses a swear word. And the lady was like, he was talking about my house. And so when he, when he builds a course in your town, it can be trouble. The other thing he does, as soon as he opens the course, he plays the first round by himself and declares that the club championship and puts his name on the wall. And so when he says, I've won 18 club championships, uh, that's a lie you could float in the Macy's parade, you know? And the lies go as far as misrepresenting where the golf course itself actually is, too. Yeah. Trump Philadelphia is in New Jersey. Uh, Trump Washington is in Virginia. Uh, (laughs) He uh, Trump Charlotte is way outside of Charlotte. I mean, it's uh, it's all a lot of lies. It's. But, you know, people say, what's it got to do with being a president? Well, because he's lying to you. For instance, he said uh, climate change is a hoax, and he pulled us out of the Paris Agreement. Okay, <laughs> he doesn't agree with science. Fine. But as we speak, 
He's suing the town of Dunebeg in Ireland, where his Irish course is, which is along the coast, because he wants to build a 2,000-foot-long, 10-foot-high wall to protect against the rising sea, lo- sea levels. And, he's, and they say, the lawyers say, in the petition, climate change has caused sea levels to rise very fast, and it's wrecking our course. We have the right to do this. So which is it, President Trump? Is it a hoax or is it real and it's wrecking your golf course? You know, I mean, you can't you can't be on both sides of this. His lack of respect for the business side of things is deplorable. His lack of respect for how he plays the game is deplorable. And his lack of respect for the land that these courses on is also deplorable. And that leads us to the topic of Greg Norman. And you just mentioned Trump National Golf Club in Charlotte. Why does Greg Norman despise Trump for what happened at Trump National Golf Club in Charlotte? Well, he despises him as a golf developer, but he likes his policies, so he votes for him. But he, he built Trump Charlotte, and then uh, Trump comes in and changes a bunch of stuff. Trump thinks he's kind of a golf architect, and he's actually pretty good about holes and stuff. And so Trump, uh, Char- Norman comes to play at some event with Trump at Trump Charlotte, and on the first three holes, he sees that Trump has made changes without asking the architect. And usually in golf circles, you have to ask the architect. It's considered polite. And so Norman was seething, and he stopped talking to the reporters. And then Trump uh, bought Trump Dunebeg, which Norman was the favorite course he ever designed. And he said he he effing ruined it. Hmm. And so he won't talk about it, and he he won't talk to Trump about it. He's angry about it. He says, he ruined my baby. And so, and yet he'll still vote for him. So I don't know. For all of the factual stuff that you point out that does not paint Donald Trump in a positive light, you do admit that he took Turnbury overseas and made that into a better course. How so? Well, he's, you know, he's, he has done a lot of good for golf. He's, he was buying courses when nobody else was. But if you see in the book, there's sort of a unethical way he did it, but you'll have to read the book. Mm-hmm. But uh, he knows both tours. He's great for the LP. He was great for the LPGA tour until they left. He had the Doral stuff until Doral got sick of him taking all, all the publicity and Cadillac pulled out and they moved to Mexico. And Rory McIlroy said, uh, it looks like our tournament jumped to Mexico. <laughs> so um, he is good for golf and he made Turnberry way better. Turnberry was really good before and, of course, had some great British Opens, but now it's even better. But on the other hand, he ruined a course. He built a course called Aberdeen, yeah. Trump International in Aberdeen, Scotland, and they hate him there. He said he was going to employ 6,000 people. He now employs 85. He said he wasn't going to ruin the dune system. He ruined the dune system. He said he was going to build a Lynx course. He built like a lush American course. And nobody plays it. I went there and walked it two days. I saw one group one day and two groups the next. I mean, they really hate him. They hate him so much that when he comes to play it, they all go to the beach and and they make all these signs in the sand with Scottish swear words about how much they hate him. <laughs> Is there one consistent physical feature at most, if not all, of his courses? <laughs> yeah, the waterfall. He always puts in a 100-foot waterfall. And I was talking to Tom Fazio, who doesn't design for him anymore because he's too much work. And by the way, Fazio says, he just gets my brother Jim Fazio, which is about half the price. But it's okay. He still tells people it's by Tom Fazio. Jeez. He just lies. 
But anyway, no matter where he, almost no matter where he builds a course, he puts in these ridiculous 100-foot waterfalls. For instance, at Trump Westchester, there's a 103-foot waterfall right behind, I think it's the 13th green. And you're trying to putt, and you're like, you're away. What? You're away! And you're getting wet. And it's like, and you know why he does it? He did it? Because he was really impressed by Steve Wynn's waterfall on 17 at Shadow Creek, but it was only 80 foot, and he wanted to make a, lo- <laughs> a taller waterfoot, uh, a taller waterfall, kind of like he lied about the, t- the height of uh, Trump Tower, which he says is 58 floors, but only because he skipped floors 20 through 29, so that it would be taller than the GE building down the street. Good Lord. Okay, so Trump tells a ridiculous lie. And I guess Trump specifically doesn't tell it, but a monument that he has up tells a lie that is essentially exploiting the military at Trump, Washington. What exactly is that? Well, you're playing the 13th hole, and there's this really cool Civil War monument. And I'm like, what is this? And it's about 20 feet high, and it says, on this spot in 1862 or whatever it was, they waged the Battle of the Bloody River. So many men died that the river ran red. And it is my honor to present this historical monument uh, signed Donald J. Trump. This is all in a giant plaque. And it's fine, and it looks cool, except it never happened. There was no Battle of the Bloody River there. It was way, way downstream. And so the New York Times said, why would you say that? Because we talked to three historians that it never happened there. And he goes, well, I had my own historian, and he said it did. Okay. And so the Times goes, okay, give me the guy's name. Oh, well, I don't know his name. You'll have to ask my staff. <laughs> All right, give me the staff that was in charge of it. We'll write whatever story you want. And it's hilarious. <laughs> but then the, 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 the memorial doesn't stop lying because there's the Trump family logo, uh, coat of arms. And I'm looking at it like, this seems familiar. And we researched it and found out he stole it from the people that owned Mar-a-Lago, the Merriweather family. And I called them and they said, you know, Trump took your family's logo. And he goes, yeah, we know. He said, but we didn't want to sue because we were going to be in court for seven years. So we just let him have it. Like, what? I mean, it's crazy. That's rough. And you do talk a lot about uh, you spend, I think, a chapter or two talking about those who try to fight Trump when he chooses not to pay them after they complete work for him or he just blatantly rips people off. And uh, sadly, not golf courses, especially his golf courses like. There was an architect who got ended up like 10 cents on the dollar he was supposed to get or 20 cents. And it pretty much broke him for a while. There was a painter at Doral, um, uh, a guy named Enriquez, and he had like a six person painting company and Trump owed him 300 grand and he wouldn't pay and he wouldn't pay. And so he said, I had no choice but to sue the guy. And I'm like, you sued the president when he was president. He said, yeah. And he won. He not only won, but he won lawyer's fees too. And I'm like, oh, my God, you're a small businessman who took on the president and won. And he said, yeah, but I'd still vote for him. <laughs> like, what? Some of the other stuff that I just I don't understand that mindset. It's same with Greg Norman. Like, you know, the guy on a personal level, but you're still <laughs> right. all about trusting him to make honest, wise, the right decisions at such a higher level. It's just, uh, it just blows my mind. Have you it, actually it makes, it makes you crazy, but there is a couple stories this guys that stood up and figuratively punched the bully in the nose. And that's kind of why I wrote the book because I said, look, this guy is a bully and he's lying to you about, I don't know about politics, but I know about golf. 
He is lying to you about how good he is at golf and saying he's a winner when he's really a fraud. And you need to know this. Now, go ahead and vote for him if you want. But if you're a golfer and you can cotton to this, then fine, but I can't. You've had a relationship with Trump in the past. You've written about him. Have you actually heard from Trump or his people regarding this book? No, and I'm begging for him to tweet. I mean, if he tweets, it would really help sales. Give some but great he, press. For some reason, with me, for the first time in his life, he's showing restraint. He tweets about everybody else. I'm dying for him to call me a fraud, dishonest. I'm hoping he says, you know, I, I beat the hell out of that guy once. He's a, he's, he's a liar. And because I want my first tweet to be, okay, who read the book to you? <laughs> oh, man, I, I may try to uh, to get at Trump just to uh, to get his attention on that one, just to... Well, I bet him 100 grand that I could beat him as his 2.8. I'm a 5.3, I think. And I said, I will play you at your 2.8. You got to give me the two and a half shots, but it can't be at one of your cheating courses with one of your cheating caddies and your Super Mario golf cart that goes too fast. Uh, it's got to be at a, with USGA rules officials following each of us, and I'll bet you a hundred grand I beat you. <laughs> and he hasn't said anything to that either. You do a great job also of breaking down that two point eight handicap, and uh, that's another part of this fantastic book, oh Commander God. and Cheat: How Golf Explains Trump. Uh, Rick, thank you so much for the time today. Last question before I let you go. Right at the end of our time, I have to thank you as somebody who helped stoke my love for reading when I was a kid into my teenage ah. years as well. Uh, for you, who are some of the people that you really enjoyed reading as a kid, and who are some of the people you enjoy reading now? Jim Murray, the great L.A. Times columnist, was my hero and mentor. He was the best sports writer I ever read. He was fantastic. Uh, Dan Jenkins, who just died in the, you know, the Fort Worth legend. Yeah. And, and, then, and then I discovered Damon Runyon, who became my favorite writer of all time. P.G. Woodhouse, those guys. You know, guys that could just make a sentence, jump off the page, and squirt grapefruit juice in your ear. You know, just <laughs> gave you these fantastic word pictures. I, and I always thought... I always uh, did, followed a rule that uh, Oscar Wilde said, which is never write a sentence you've already read. And if you follow that rule, your writing gets so much more crisp and fun. And uh, that really helped me reading those guys and, and trying to follow that rule. Wow, that's a fantastic piece of advice. Is there anybody that you read nowadays that's maybe newer to the scene that you really enjoy? Oh, so many guys. I mean, there's so many good young sports writers. The problem is, there's so many bad ones. There's so many everything, you know, because everybody's got a blog. Everybody's got a podcast. Everybody tweets. And <laughs> it's just such a, what's the word? It's like a, it's like a fire hydrant open and it's just hitting you in the face. And, uh, but there are really good ones. And I, I just think it's a hard way to make a living now because people write for free and that sinks every boat in the harbor, you know? Yeah. And it's all about clicks as well. And what is a true click versus just bait versus all sorts oh, it's of a other, different world, man. other tricks. It's a uh, different well, world. Well, Rick, thank you uh, once again. Great book. I uh, really appreciate the time today, and good luck getting Trump to uh, tweet out about Commander and Cheat. <laughs> I'm on my knees here, buddy. <laughs> cool. Well, thank you so much for the time today, Rick. Thank you.